Thank you so much, Pastor Miranda. And good morning, Rock Church. I don't know that I need to state this because our team is doing such a great job, but there's a number of technical difficulties uh, probably related to the storm, and yet we're going to power through. Uh, Even if the computer shut down and everything else, we still sing, we still preach, we still pray, and so we'll still be able to do church. I want to thank you for this opportunity, and as Pastor Miranda said, I have been Uh, I have had some opportunities on Wednesday night to share in the Word, and uh, as a a semi-retired, because I still teach at uh, California Graduate School of Theology, but uh, it was probably about six months or so after I started coming here, and Pastor Henny and I connected, we had breakfast and shared a little bit, and I remember telling Linda, someday the Lord is going to call me to preach here on a Sunday morning, and so... It came rather unexpectedly, and perhaps at Pastor Henny's expense, but we've been praying for him. Linda and I prayed for him this morning, and we are trusting, as Pastor Miranda said, for a full recovery. He is an amazing preacher. You know, I just want to say this, that as a pastor and a preacher for over 40 years, it's not easy for me to sit under someone else's ministry, and I mean that humbly. I don't mean that in any self-aggrandizing way. Uh, And I've visited other places and come away with just not right. But I knew the first Sunday I was here and heard Pastor Henny preach, here's a man I can sit under and hear the word of God. So I'm really blessed by that. We have had already, as uh, you've heard, an amazing start to this fall campaign that is based on Proverbs chapter 3 and this amazing uh, idea that Pastor Henny launched for us of tying together the ideas of honor and blessing. And that when we honor God in any level of commitment and discipleship, we will appreciate a blessing as well. And so we've seen that from the very first Sunday where we dealt with honor and blessing kind of in a general theme. And then part two challenged us to honor God's word And I was privileged to follow up on that on that Wednesday night. Following that, the Wednesday team, the small groups were all tied into what is driven on Sundays with respect to the Proverbs 3 theme. Um, Last week, of course, part 3, we were able to be challenged by, again, an equally amazing uh, idea as we honor one another with kindness and truth. So that perhaps is still reverberating in your mind. Speaking of reverberating, I'm thinking of that part two, the honoring the God's word. And as Pastor Henny plugged in those lions roaring and the, I I mean, I still hear that. How many of you still hear that? That was such an amazing uh, uh, video uh, segment of a sermon that I've ever heard. And uh, so very creative. And these ideas then of honoring God, uh, honoring his word, honoring one another, brings us today to uh, an equally important challenge, which is that we honor the will of God, that we honor God's will. So we've gone from Proverbs chapter 3, 1 and 2, uh, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, and then we come, of course, today to Proverbs chapter 3, 5 and 6, which is probably the most recognizable passage in the third 
chapter of Proverbs and maybe one of the most recognizable passages in all the Word. Many of you know it. I'm sure you know it by memory. Trust in the Lord. You know it? Come on. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean. do not lean upon your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your paths. I want you to notice that this great passage has as the previous four verses, the dual theme of honoring and blessing built right in to the text. Quickly and simply stated, we honor God, notice, when with all our heart we trust in the Lord, and we honor God when in all our understanding we don't rely upon our own, and we honor God when in all our ways we acknowledge God. I mean, it's, you know, the... the The text is yielding a preachable outline, a teachable outline. It's right there in front of us. The blessing then, because those are the honoring dynamics, those three, the first three verses. These these, uh, Proverbs, both of them, five and six, have the two clauses which you commonly see in a proverb. And uh, it is the fourth clause, the second in the second verse, verse six, that provides the reference to blessing. And that is that when you honor God's will in your life, you can count on God directing your path. Uh, The Hebrew word there, Miranda, is to make something straight. But I'm not going to deal a lot with that. I'm going to unpack this verse a little bit more this coming Wednesday night. So how many are you going to be here Wednesday night? Um, Also, and by coincidence, I was the one that was asked to deal with this on Wednesday night. So it'll be fun to not only deal with it today, but then come, come at it from a different angle on this Wednesday night. So again, clearly this passage has as its core the challenge to follow God's direction in your journey of faith, to seek the will of God for your life. And we will honor God when we value his will, when we seek his guidance, and when we rely upon the directions that only he can give. I read some time ago that, uh, and this was from some years ago, That after finally allowing women to enter the astronaut program, NASA was asked why it took so long. And one sarcastic journalist offered the explanation that NASA decided it was important to have a female astronaut on board in case the crew got lost, knowing that she would at least be the one to ask for directions. Now, you know, guys, we need to own that stereotype. Because we really do not like to ask for directions. Isn't that right? And we are willing to circle around aimlessly forever. I I also read in the uh, uh, context of that that a survey was done of 1,000 men. And they found that a solid 15% said they refused to stop and ask for directions. Because after all, you ready for this? All roads eventually lead to some place. <laughs> you know, of course, uh, that begs the question. We need to ask, what if that someplace is the wrong place? Well, that could be dangerous. And that someplace may not be a very nice place. And in life, wouldn't you agree with me, it's so easy to end up in a place you don't want to be. And it can happen in a heartbeat. You're barreling along full speed ahead, and the bridge is washed out. 
You're running your race, trying to cross the finish line, only to discover that the line keeps moving. You're climbing the ladder of success, only to find out that when you get to the top, it's leaning upon the wrong wall. It can happen in a heartbeat. And that's why, listen to me, one of the most consistent offers in the Bible, one of the most consistent offers in the Word of God is God's offer to guide you. He has a will for your life. And as we'll notice in uh, Wednesday night, Romans chapter 12 tells us that that will is good and it's pleasing and it's perfect. And yet for some reason, come on, let's be honest, for some reason, we think at times God's will is like some distasteful medicine that we are being forced to swallow. He has directions for you to take. And yet, if we're honest at times, we should admit that we would rather trust our own GPS. But I want to tell you, the next time you want to trust your own life's global positioning system, you might want to consider the one who hung that globe into space. The Lord wants to provide the directions. And not only can he read the map, he wrote the map. I have a traffic app on my phone, as do you. We commute into Orange County, as I said, to teach. And uh, it alerts me to traffic jams that are out there in front of me. You're aware of that. But we need to acknowledge in a spiritual context that God has been doing that for years. He knows where the traffic jams of life are. He knows the roads you should avoid, the routes you must never take, the destinations that once you get there, you'll be sorry that you got there. We need that type of direction in our life. Amen? I mean, we really do. We need someone to guide us through the maze and the madness to direct us through the traffic jams. Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23, the prophet cries out, O Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. You don't have what it takes. You don't know where, we don't know where the traffic jams are. In Psalm 32, 8, we read, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. God's promise then is to direct us through the traffic. Listen to me. His promise is to direct us through the traffic, not necessarily from the traffic. Solomon, his advice is, Therefore, to trust his wisdom, not your own, to lean on him and not yourself, to acknowledge that his way and will for your life is infinitely better than any way you can come up with on your own. In fact, rather graphically, Solomon says it not once but twice in Proverbs, Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way which seems right to a man, but the end thereof is the, anybody know it? The way of death. This idea of God's will for our lives is at the core of our Christian journey. 
Brothers and sisters, hardly anything is more important. And that's why we are instructed to pray, are we not? Your will be done as it is in heaven. Now, I want you to notice something about that very well-known statement from the so-called Lord's Prayer, the, the Believer's Prayer. I want you to notice what Jesus did not say. I mean, it's just a little line, right? It's just, but notice what he did not say. He said, your will be done. He did not say, your will be known. Now, stick with me. I want to tell you the Bible always emphasizes the doing. It's the church that emphasizes the knowing. The Bible emphasizes the doing. James 1.22, be doers of the word. Romans 2.13, not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. Psalm 40, verse 8, I delight to do, 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 do your will, O God, and your laws within my heart. Jesus in John 8.29 said, for I always do those things that please him. John 4.34, again, the Lord says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. The Bible emphasizes and always emphasizes the doing, but it is the church. It's us. We like the knowing. We want to have debate. We want to have discussions. We want to have classes. We want to have charts. We want to have theories. We want to have doctrines. We want to have seminars. It is, uh, if the truth be known, a sort of 21st century Gnosticism. We place great premium on the knowing. Go to any bookstore. You don't believe me? Go to Christian bookstores. Here's the titles you will find. I've wrote some down. How to Know the Will of God. George Sweeting, a great man, former president of Moody Bible Institute, wrote a book Discovering the will of God, knowing God's will is the key to success in Christian life. Another book was Getting to Know the Will of God. I thought I could hear My Fair Lady, Getting to Know You, Getting to Know All About You. Listen, guys, if you're only asking to know God's will, you're asking the wrong question. It is not how can I know the will of God. We should be asking how can I do the will of God. Knowing God's will only factors into the equation as it relates to doing God's will. You want proof of that? Pick up your Bibles, turn to John chapter 7 and verse 17. Jesus there in the context of the chapter I don't want to yank it out of its context, but in the context, he's having, again, one of these moments with the Pharisees who are questioning him. Where do you get your learning? Where do you get your authority? Who do you think you are? So on and so forth. And your relationship to to, uh, speaking on behalf of God. Jesus says in verse 17, listen to this. Listen to the words. If you've heard me speak here before, I've said this a number of times. Words matter. Words matter. Mark Twain said the difference between the the right word and the almost right word is the difference between lightning and the lightning bug. (laughs) Words matter. And especially in the word. If anyone wills, 
to know. (laughs) Now, if anyone wills to do his will, he shall know. We could just stop there. That's the point I want to make. But to finish the verse, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak of uh, on my own authority. I want you to notice the particular wording in this verse. And, and, and check it out, you know, uh, across various versions. The Amplified has, if any man desires to do his will, he will know. Stephen Alford, Greek scholar, said, if any man be willing to do his will, he shall, he shall know. Goodspeed, Edgar Goodspeed, his translation has, anyone who resolves to do his will, will know. Now, look at this. I mean, this is really amazing. God doesn't show us his will to satisfy our curiosity. He doesn't reveal his will to us so that from that point, we can then call for our conference and sit down and debate it whether we should choose it or not. It is not no, then do. It is will to do, then you'll know. Boom. I mean, that is, that is life-changing difference right there. It really is. You wrap your mind around that, that's going to change your life. Because we've been sitting around asking God, I want to know your will. I want to know your will. And God's not showing you anything until he knows you're going to do his will. I must be willing to do God's will before I know God's will. And if I'm not willing, I may never find out God's will. The reason so many Christians don't know God's will is that God knows they haven't resolved to do it. Yes, yes, even before they know it. And we want to argue. I know. You want to say, wait a minute, Pastor Joe, how can God expect me to do something before I know something? And therein lies the great challenge of living a life by faith and not by sight. Our resistance to this truth plays right into the hands of Satan who wants to string us along with this mind game concerning faith in God and our belief in his word and will for our lives. Our enemy is the father of lies and he has authored the world's belief system based upon this credo Seeing is believing. How many of you ever heard that? (laughs) It's not in the Bible, by the way. Seeing is believing. He got to Thomas. Amen. In the upper room, I'll believe it when I see it. We have this idea, unless I can understand it and explain it, I'll not believe it. Isn't that right? How many of you understand everything there is to know about electricity and AC, DC current and polarization? It didn't stop you from getting up this morning and turning on the light. How many of you ladies understand everything there is to understand about the internal combustion engine? A lot of you guys don't even understand that. Didn't stop you from getting in your car this morning and turning on the key. You understand what I'm saying? We do all kinds of things in life and benefit from various things of which we really don't understand how it's working all the time. So 
So God tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for, that what? The evidence of what? Things not seen. So listen to me. The world says sight must precede belief. God's word says belief must precede sight. The cynic says, I will not believe unless I see. God says, you will not see unless you believe. The skeptic says, I'll believe it when I see it. The Christian says, I'll see it when I believe it. Thomas said, seeing is believing. Jesus said, believing is seeing. It'll change your life, guys, I'm telling you. William Clark wrote, faith is the daring of the soul to go farther than it can see. Augustine said, faith is to believe in the word of God, what we do not see, and the reward of faith is to see what we have believed in. Look at that quote. It's up on the screen. That is at the core of our honor and blessing series. You honor God with belief, you'll be rewarded with seeing what belief leads you to. Pascal wrote, human knowledge must be understood to be believed, but divine knowledge must be believed to be understood. And so we need a real-life example of someone who actually pulled this off. The way I'm wired when I study the Word is not only to deal with the didactic aspects of it, just the, you know, the, the, the text-on-text aspect, but, but, and, and that's why uh, I've gravitated, particularly in my academic life, to Old Testament studies in Hebrew, because it's a, it's a book about stories. It's a book about people. And we need a real-life example of someone who actually pulled this off, someone who lived the principle of honor and blessing as we see it outlined in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. And I want to tell you this morning, the most compelling demonstration of the truth of Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 is Abraham. There is no greater illustration of a person putting into practice the challenge of John seven seventeen than Abraham. Someone who is willing to do God's will before before knowing God's will and then being blessed by God for honoring God's will in the way in his life. Listen to this. If you don't believe that, Hebrews chapter 11, 8, 9, and 10. By faith, Abraham, when, he, when called to go to a place he would uh, later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went, look at these next words, even though he did not what? Know where he was going. <laughs> By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country, lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him in the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Did you see that? Genesis chapter 12, God says to him, get up, get out of her, go to a land that I'm going to show you, but I'm not going to tell you where it is yet or what it is. Now, if Abraham was like us, he would have called for a prayer meeting. (laughs) <laughs> he had to call for a staff meeting. Right? You guys attended some of those, haven't you? He got up and got out. He went. What I call this journey to the unknown. Boy, does that scare us. Come on. That scares us. Abraham packed up his wife and his belongings and set out to find a city whose builder and maker is God. Listen to me. Every step Abraham took was on ground he'd never walked on before. Every sunrise to which he awoke witnessed a horizon that he had never seen before. 
Every river he forded put him past one more border he had never crossed before. Every valley led him down into pastures his flocks had never grazed in before. Every mountain he ascended brought him higher than he'd ever climbed before. And then, listen, and then, on one of those mountains called Moriah, he encountered a test of his faith that he could have never imagined before this pilgrimage of faith. And it is here, in his commitment to trust God with his whole heart, And not lean on his own understanding that his heart takes a hit and his understanding is undone. It is here that God tells him that he must do the unthinkable. Do you know of what I speak? How many of you know what I'm talking about? Imagine Abraham in that insatiable quest to go anywhere and everywhere God told him to go. And to do anything and everything God told him to do. That God tells him now to go where there will be no turning back. And to do what cannot be undone. The words of God must fall on the ears of Abraham like the hammer of absurdity on the anvil of reason. Genesis 22, verse 2. God says, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I shall show you. What? (laughs) Ponder this trauma of faith facing Abraham. This gut-wrenching, mind-blowing, heartbreaking, spirit-deadening need and deed that he must do. Will he be a heartless father following, as it would seem, an equally heartless heavenly father? We are parents here today, are we not? How many parents do we have here today? Certainly the majority. And who of you, who of you could ever imagine a task like this? I have two beautiful daughters. By coincidence, really, they're going to be here today at the second service. And I would gladly, I would willingly die for both of them in a New York minute. I'm from New York. Immediately, without hesitation, without regret. But, but, I would never, never entertain the idea to kill them. Lord, no, no, not now, not ever. So Abraham rose early in the morning saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him 
You know the story, don't you? They reach the summit. Abraham builds the altar. He binds Isaac and lays him atop the altar. He draws the knife from his waistband. He raises it high with its jagged blade pointed at the heart of his son in a heartbeat. In the next heartbeat, Isaac's heart will stop beating. And just before he does, all of a sudden God calls to him mercifully, convincingly. Abraham, Abraham, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him for I know, now I know that you fear God, that you reverence me since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. (laughs) Are we not left speechless? Come on. Spellbound? Stunned? Could he have done it? Have you ever pondered that? Was he actually going through with it? And I'm here to tell you, there is only one answer to that, and it is the only one that the Bible provides. The answer is yes. He was going to kill Isaac. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. We think Abraham was heartless and helpless, but Abraham was neither. Rather, he demonstrated a faith that was the only thing he knew made sense in such a life-changing event as this. Here's what we need to know. Listen to me, guys. In Abraham's eyes, Isaac was a dead man. But only because Abraham believed that even though Isaac did die, God would raise him back to life again. God's command to kill his son was run through the filter of that son being, in fact, the son of promise and the blessing of God on Abraham's life. And so, therefore, we're left to understand that Abraham reasoned that God gave him that son, and if he wanted to take his life, God would restore him back to life again. Do you believe that? Well, if you don't, read Hebrews 11, 17 through 19. It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice, When God was testing him, Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Verse 19, listen to this. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. There it is. And by the way, because you may... If you're thinking too quickly about this, think that Abraham believed he was going to kill his son and then in the resurrection later on sometime in the future, that's when God would raise up Isaac. No, 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 no. He believed God was going to raise him up right there on the spot. How do I know that? I read the book again in Genesis chapter 22, 5. Have you ever noticed this? Before they went up to the summit? Have you ever noticed this? The instructions he gave to the servants as he took Isaac? And the wood, and they made their way up to that place of death and resurrection. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and I will come back. No, no, we will come back to you. He's coming back down. You see him going up, he's coming back down. But in the going up, Abraham knew he was a dead man. Think of that. One further point needs to be made concerning Abraham's journey to the unknown. 
The spiritual reality is this. Write it down. Isaac was never the sacrifice that day. The sacrifice was Abraham. Amen? Isaac was never the sacrifice that day atop Moriah. The sacrifice was Abraham, as Genesis 22, verse 12 clearly shows. Listen, God did not want a dead sacrifice in Isaac. He wanted a living sacrifice in Abraham. And Paul, who knows his Hebrew Bible, picks up his pen in Romans 12 and tells us that it's God's will that we are a living sacrifice. You read Romans 12 lately? That'll be our focus Wednesday night. Here's all you need to know about honoring and blessing in this context as outlined in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. The reward and blessing that was Abraham's as a result of honoring God's will and direction for his life impacts the world to this very day. This is just not some archaic Old Testament stuff. What Abraham did that day, what Abraham did from Genesis chapter 12 when he got up and got out and went into this journey to the unknown impacts you and me today. It impacts the world today. Genesis 12, 2 and 3, you know the verses? God says to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. Here's your blessing, honor and blessing. I'll bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families of the earth will what? Be blessed. Through who? Through you, Abraham. I ask you this morning, who has the notoriety of Abraham? A dominant figure in both testaments, revered by the three great monotheistic religions on earth today. Called by Paul in Romans 4.11, the father of the faithful. The father of the faithful. Called by Paul in Romans 4.16, the father of us all. James in James 2.23 refers to him as as the only one as the friend of God. So God said that he would bless Abraham because of his faith and then bless us because of faithful Abraham. That is so cool. That's a great theological word. Talk about honor and blessing. A.W. Tozer in his book, Man, the Dwelling Place of God, wrote these words. True faith rests upon the character of God and asks no further proof than the moral perfections of the one who cannot lie. It is enough that God said it. And if the statement should contradict every one of our five senses and all the conclusions of logic as well, still the believer continues to believe. Let God be true and every man a liar is the language of true faith. Heaven approves such faith because it rises above mere proofs and rests in the bosom of God. 
Tozer was right. As we think about closing this morning, I just want you again to think about Abraham's journey of faith. His will, listen, how it integrates with our text of Proverbs. This journey of faith, this journey to the unknown. His willingness to trust God with his whole heart. His willingness not to rely upon his own understanding. His willingness to acknowledge God in all his ways. His willingness to allow God to direct his paths. You see it? Nothing about, listen, nothing about his journey was easy, comfortable, or convenient. It was fraught with danger, overloaded with risk, confronted by opposition, and questioned by temptation. And know this today, when you commit yourself to live the truth of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, you will face the same dangers, risks, oppositions, and temptations. Your enemy does not want you to honor God's will. Your enemy does not want God to direct your life. He doesn't want you to trust God with your whole heart. He doesn't want you to acknowledge God in all your ways. He wants you to rely upon your own understanding. And he certainly does not want God to direct your life. His opposition to that life's direction will be evident by all of us who try to seek it. So get ready for the opposition. The old preachers used to say, if you wake up in the morning and don't meet the devil face to face, it's probably because you're both going in the same direction. (laughs) I remember years ago writing this in my Bible as I was just meditating on some of these things. I remember writing this in my Bible concerning another great Bible character. When it is God's will for you to go to Nineveh, Satan will make sure there's a ship in Joppa waiting to take you in the opposite direction. So don't fall for it. Amen? Don't fall for it. Don't turn aside or turn back on your journey of faith, even if it's a journey to the unknown. Because if you do, you'll miss out on the life-changing reality that God is already there. After Thursday's phone call asking me if I would do the unthinkable and stand in for Pastor Henny, I was also invited to a staff meeting on Friday. I only live a few miles away, and I have on Sirius XM radio in my car the message. So there's only time for one song. I even mentioned this to Landon. It was Toby Max, Beyond Me. Which, even as I'm driving here, I'm thinking about this, that, and the other, and all of a sudden I hear these words coming from the radio. Lead me to your great unknown. It's like the Spirit said, are you listening? Are you listening, Joe? Actually, he says Joseph. (laughs) Only two people call me Joseph. That's the Spirit and Linda. So... (laughs) I went home Friday night and we talked about it Friday remember Landon I even asked him about it and I looked up the lyrics call it 
a reason to retreat. I've got some dreams that are bigger than me. I might be outmatched, outsized, the underdog in the fight of my life. Is it so crazy to believe That you gave me the stars and put them out of my reach. Call me to waters a little too deep. I've never been so aware of my need. You keep on making me see it is a way beyond me, beyond me. You take me to the place where I know I need you. Straight to the depths that I can't handle on my own. You take me to the place where I know I need you. Take me to your place. Take me to your great unknown. So that's the attitude, that's the resolve, the belief that honors God's will and directions for our life. Will you pray with me? Let's bow our heads.